I am Dr. Nia, your pocket geriatrician, memory specialist on a mission to democratize aging knowledge to the sandwich generation so that you are empowered to care for the older adults in your life and care for yourself. All right. Well, thank you for joining for this episode of Ask Dr. Mia podcast. Today, I have Carolyn Pirlo, uh, who is joining us from University of California in San Francisco. I'm going to let Carolyn introduce herself. Hi, I'm a writer and designer with the UCSF Memory and Aging Center and on the communications team for the Global Brain Health Institute, um, and where I do a lot of writing and communications work and storytelling. Excellent. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the Global Brain Health Institute? And I know you also lead uh, an oral history project called Hearsay and just kind of the impact of personal stories. Uh, The Global Brain Health Institute, or otherwise known as GBHI, has a mission to sort of reduce the impact, the international impact of dementia. So really looking at brain health preventing dementia, as well as more accurate diag- more accurate and earlier diagnosis, as well as management of dementia, and really in communities and cultures around the world. So part of its approach, it's based at both Trinity College, Dublin, and UCSF, and brings about oh, 20 to 30 fellows in at each site each year for this in, um, intensive residential program where they spend a year studying brain health, uh, economics, neurology, neuroscience, neuropsychology, uh, arts and creativity and policy. They bring all these things together and they're, they're people from all different, there's uh, MDs and PhDs, scientific PhDs, as well as policy, as well as artists. So they're really people from all different backgrounds, all motivated by this desire to change their communities. And they come together for a year to sort of incubate together. Then they go back to their countries and it's wonderful. They create these networks of fellows around the world. They're connected as part of seven large Atlantic Institute programs, which are Atlantic Fellows for Equity and all different areas around the world. And so these really large collaborative networks get created and it's, it's really exciting. We've been going about seven or eight years now and it's really fun to watch these networks grow and see the work that's starting to happen in communities that are changing and embracing, as I said, things that may improve diagnostics, but also quality of life and connection and living well with the diagnosis. And that's been exciting to see that it is doable. Absolutely. And I think it's particularly important to kind of include the the narrative part of what mm-hmm. people are experiencing. Can you tell us a little bit more about the oral history project and kind of the stories that you guys are collecting or working on? Of course. So the Hearsay Project started in 2016 originally. Uh, it was a collaboration with Voice of Witness who the Memory and Aging Center has an artist in residence program and mem- the Voice of Witness came in as our artist in residence. And so they're a social justice storytelling group based in San Francisco. And they came and trained us to work on how to do empathic storytelling. So how to do the empathic interview and really consent driven, narrator driven stories. And then we edit the stories in sort of a literary mold. So there's a little more freedom. It's not we do a, a word for word transcription, but then we edit it into a story and then we share these stories and, um, you know, with the narrator's consent. But the goal is to share these beyond the academic walls and, and get the stories out there into the world. And so then we created a book of stories and we did what's called a reader's theater where we read sort of did a live staged reading of these stories and just short clips from them. And 
afterwards, we were so excited and there was so much good energy from hearing these stories and the range of stories. That's the other goal of it is this, you know, caregiving is such a multifaceted um, experience from pride to love, to anger, to frustration, to humor, to, and so we really wanted to compass that wide range. And so after sharing, oh, I guess maybe it's 10 or 15 in this readers theater, people afterwards said, oh, the stories are so profound. You need to make a film. And um, then it turned into, we started another project, started in 2018 to build this into the curriculum for GBHI. So now storytelling is part of the annual curriculum. It's an elective, but it's part of the curriculum. And we created a documentary film called Keys, Bags, Names, Words, which is just premiered this week in the U.S. And so that's that's very exciting. Yeah. 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 So it, it's been amazing. And, it, and a lot of the fellows have really enjoyed it in the curriculum because either they're scientists who come with the are medical people who come with a practice of you have specific questions you need to ask and specific answers you need to get. And there's a click, 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 you know, they're important interviews, but it's you're not looking for these broad, open-ended questions, whereas the style we take is leaving it wide open for someone to run with a story and seeing where it goes and letting them tell their story and their viewpoint. And you're not necessarily fact-checking it. You know, Maybe if there's a date or something, you might fact-check that, but you, it's their story and their impression of their story. And often it's interesting if you talk to someone with a diagnosis and their care partner, it might be the same story told two different ways and mm -hmm. both are valid. It's their experience of what happened. And it's been such a beautiful experience. You you can't leave an interview like that without being touched by the other person and their their expression of what they've gone through. Um, whether, as I said, whether it's positive, sad, or funny, or whatever, it's always powerful. And it's it's been one of the best things I've done in my life. I will say that. Yeah, and I think that's really the humanity part of dementia care or, or memory work is that the stories are really what I know inspired me into going into this field. Uh, and certainly I think it, it's great that it's being more integrated and, and valued as part of the, that scientific curriculum. Um, but maybe for the audience who are more clinicians, you know, what are some ideas that you have in terms of getting you know, the more rational, logical part of us to, to be open to, um, you know, the more narrative and personal nature of bringing out people's stories and why that's important to even think about it that way. I mean, for us, we do it partly for education and partly for empowerment. But even if you just take it in at a practical level, if you spend a few minutes, say maybe 10 minutes during a clinical visit, being open-ended to letting the person tell you about what's going on with them, you'll learn so much more that can affect the care plan and help you understand what their decisions are. Maybe you're stuck. They want some kind of care and you think it should be a different kind of care. Sometimes understanding, hearing them talk and hear them explain maybe what their values are, or their experiences are, you start to understand where they're coming for and you see how to work together as a team. And I think that, I mean, I've talked to a lot of the nurses and doctors who have done the interviews and it helps them connect with their patients more. And if nothing else, it builds trust and just understanding between each other. But even, even just really practical things like why are they, why do they want to do this instead of what I want them to do over here? And when you understand that, then you can probably both meet and find the path that works that, you know, is both therapeutic and helpful, but also in line with their values and what they place importance on. And I think even just a few minutes in, you know, these days where everything is so fast and so short attentions, it's, wonderful to give someone a few minutes to express what's powerful and meaningful to them. So even just that, I think will make the care better and 
you know, I think a lot of caregivers are overwhelmed with the work they do, which is beautiful, amazing work, but it's, it's exhausting. And it can be, you're giving so much and to, to be seen for a few minutes and to be seen as you with your own strengths and weaknesses and frustrations that does a lot to build their empowerment and their sense of self and help them be more resilient and give more. So I think it's powerful all the way around, whether it's a practical thing or whether it's a more philosophical value-based thing, but yeah. Yeah. So tell us more about keys, bags, names, and words, the, the, the title of the, the title of the movie or documentary. Um, and I know it's a documentary about people with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. And the goal is to, you know, inspire folks in, in action in aging and brain health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this film really came out of, as I said, that first Reader's Theater we did where people were like, oh, we need to hear these stories. And so we talked to a number of people, people with diagnosis, care partners, and then also this group, this cohort of Atlantic fellows who are just doing really interesting, dynamic work around the world. And we sort of started talking to people like, okay, what are we going to do here? What's the story that's going to come out of this? And so we ended up following a number of people and sharing their stories in this film. And I would say the real messages that come out of the film are there's things you can do to, to take care of your brain health before you have a diagnosis. So to hopefully delay any onset, maybe even prevent an onset, but certainly to live well for as long as you can. And so those are the sort of things, reducing those risk factors of, you know, getting exercise, reading, staying mentally engaged, staying socially engaged, eating well, reducing your stress, watching your blood pressure, things like that, taking care of diabetes or depression. Um, and those are things you can do at any age. And so the, the better health you have going into your older years, the better off you'll be. And then, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, how this, the movie came to be. And then, um, yeah, and so then uh, the other part was then looking at once you have diagnosis, I mean, obviously nobody wants to gain, to develop dementia. It, it's a tragic thing. But there are beautiful moments, and there are real moments where you can connect as a family. You can have these powerful times and it's not all I feel like there's so much tragedies around dementia and yes it I wouldn't wish it on anyone I do think it, it is you know we have to our economies have to be prepared our families have to be prepared there's it's a terrible thing but there are moments that can be beautiful and the person is still there you can still connect with them you can still forge a bond it's going to be different the person's different but they're still there and a and I think the arts is really the powerful way of finding the way into the person because maybe maybe they've lost language. Maybe they have an aphasia. And if you can't connect with them in the same ways you always did, maybe you used to discuss, you know, literature or politics or something very cerebral. And maybe that's not there anymore, but maybe you can still connect through touch or dance or song or something like that um, or visual through painting. And I it's just powerful, but it's different. And I think people just need to be a little more relaxed and more open to go with what's in the moment. And I hate to say letting go of who they were, but letting go of your expectations of who they were um, right. and letting them be who they are. And then yeah. there again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we are very, um, very tied to our identity as very, a lot of us very cerebral people um, and the things that we do uh, in many ways define us. But when a disease like dementia touches on the person, a lot of what 
you know, we used to do or the work that we used to do kind of falls away. But I think you're exactly right in the sense that the person is still there and the person with a disease is still valuable and wants engagement and community and communication. It's just that the way of communication may need to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, so so where um, where can people watch the movie? Well, right now, so we have a screening. We just screened in New York last night. We have a screening in Berkeley on Wednesday and a screening in Sebastopol next Tuesday, the 19th. So Wednesday, the 13th in Berkeley and the 19th in Sebastopol. Then if you're not in one of those areas, the best thing to do is to go to keysbagsnameswords.com and there's a host a screening link and you can sign up there and we'll help you host a screening in your community. We'd, our goal is to get this out to as many people as possible and to sort of share the message that, you know, find ways to connect with people and that it, it's doable and possible. And so we'll help you. We've got it in, we're constantly adding new languages, we have subtitles or dubbing that we can put it into. We're doing everything. We're doing these community screenings a lot of times. So um, community centers, um, academic centers, places where people might gather and whatever you've got in your community will help you get it there. <laughs> Our goal is for it to help people, to be a resource, to help people, whether it's professionals, to help them do their work, um, whether it's community members to figure out, you know, how to find a local artist in their community and connect with them or their local uh, physical therapists or things like that. Like finding the tools that exist in different communities to help that community be more resilient. And, And if nothing else, just to start a conversation, if people are talking about aging and they're talking about brain health and they're talking about dementia, Hopefully they'll be less afraid of it and less afraid of people with it and mm-hmm. that will build connections as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And so the move, the documentary um, shares people who have the disease, their mm-hmm. care partners and some of the healthcare professionals, all of their perspectives are kind of included in a documentary. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. It's a packed 85 minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's exciting. I mean, and and I think the disease touches on all of these players, and and they're all important and kind of share different perspectives about the same the same reality, but different yeah. perspectives. Yeah, yeah. the film is very much a global film as well. So not only is it all those people, it's all those people in all those places. So um, ah, okay, so yeah, it's exciting. So hopefully, everybody will find something that resonates with them. <laughs> Gotcha. So, so the um, the folks who are featured in the documentary come from multiple different countries around the world as well. Particularly, the fellows are all over the world. But um, uh, Helen Rushford Brennan is uh, from Ireland. Uh, Jill Harmon is, and her husband Don Harmon are from California. Um, uh, Lingani's from Botswana. Then there's Jorge from Cuba. Then there's Leia from Brazil, who's now in California. So, yeah, there's people. And then Dana's from the, uh, Vermont. So, yeah, there's people from all over. <laughs> a lot of U.S. and Ireland because that's where we have a lot more connections. But there's uh, Africa and Emmy Kyoto is from Asia. And then she's done – well, she's from Japan. And then she's done work in the Philippines and in um, Nepal. So – and then um, uh, oh, we're, we're in Jordan. So, yeah, there's a wide variety. <laughs> That's very exciting. I'm always curious about like what people around the world have in common in terms of, you know, their experiences with dementia uh, or Alzheimer's disease and other related dementias, but also kind of how different societies and different places treat this, you know, biological or medical concept differently in their own societal context. One of the things I see, and this is just my, my observation, is also which cultures are more intergenerational. 
Um, hmm. It feels like certain cultures live more, you know, bringing children and grandparents together. Whereas it feels like in the U S we tend to segregate more. We tend to be in more age specific environments. And I think actually that mixed intergenerationality is a wonderful thing. You've got these, you know, children with a lot of energy who need supervision. You've got elders who have a lot of love and maybe not as much energy, but the wisdom of the years. And if they can share this, the children bring the energy, the elders bring the wisdom and the experience. And to me, they have a lot to give each other. Um, and then hopefully maybe give the middle group a, a little rest. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And then coming from someone who grew up with you know, my own grandparents, I, I certainly have benefited from the wisdom of the older generation. And, um, and, and it's, it's much harder, I think, for everyone to not be together and have that sense of, you know, family through the generations. And I, I think different people in the family kind of just brings different things. And, and also, you know, back to people with the disease, in, in some respects, um, because the brain is changing, I also think that there are certain behaviors and certain emotions that are more that are common or come full circle in some ways, certainly not to infantilize anyone with dementia. But, but I think, the, the underlying emotions and the need for connection and con communication is the same, but just that the way of communicating is perhaps, you know, not there either because of a child's development or because of the brain disease. But, um, you know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of things that can be the same in terms of how you approach someone, whether it's a toddler, a four-year-old, <laughs> or you approach someone who has dementia. Um, I can definitely see, you know, from an intergenerational perspective that it could really be beneficial. And I know, you know, this is not available everywhere, um, but in our community here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, um, our senior organization, Senior Services, is actually building an intergenerational uh, building where children and older adults and people of all ages could come together for arts-based um, activities and interaction. So that building is actually going to open up later this year. I think I've seen that in the Netherlands is I think where I've seen it so far and it looks like it's worked out beautifully. And I yeah. kudos to you for doing that. I think that's a wonderful thing and I'll, I'll be very curious to see how it, how it goes. You know? Yeah. We're actually moving all of our memory clinics there, one, because it's, a, you know, it's just better in terms of parking uh, so that people don't have to get all stressed out before they come and see a memory, memory doctor. Um, but also because, you know, we're, we'll be more integrated with the community and other, you know, partners in the community, other universities, you know, you talked about physical therapy, there's going to be uh, both physical therapy and occupational therapy, as well as a driving simulation, because, you know, at least in our country, driving is such a big hot topic <laughs> related to people's independence. Uh, but anyways, enough about me. I wanted to talk more about the um, the movie or the documentary, actually. I wanted to just to see, you know, if there was one particular story, uh, either from the documentary or from the oral history project that touched you. And if you can tell us a little bit about that one particular story. I think it was fun. So each of the books has maybe 30 stories in it. So there are a lot of stories in there and some are very short and some are longer and and also, also multilingual, which was wonderful. What I loved about the stories was not so much a specific story. I mean, there were, I loved it. Oh, one guy, he was just hilarious. And he had, he has a diagnosis of early Alzheimer's. And 
despite that, he has a great sense of humor and he's held on to it. And he tells these hilarious stories and he's like, you know, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll live until we live and then we plot. <laughs> you know, he's a funny way of, of speaking. But I think what I really like, I was thinking about, you know, which story stood out and it's not so much the individual stories as it is the conglomeration, all these stories together, because I think you talk to one person in one moment and you catch them when they're in a hilarious mood and you get a funny story. You catch them when they're in a sad mood and it's something profound or heartbreaking. And, you know, you, you catch that minute. But when you put the stories all together and you have 30 stories, you start to understand how rich the experience of caregiving is and how encompassing it is. And that it really does. It's one part of one person and they have their whole lives that existed before caregiving and will continue after caregiving. And then there's this rich time where they're all over the place. And this, I mean that in a good way, not in a bad way, um, more in the sense that you're experiencing everything and you're taking in everything. And so, as I said, like it might be frustrating and sad at one moment, but then it might be beautiful and hilarious at another moment. And yeah, I think it, it's that getting the, the stepping back from all the stories and seeing what they all bring and the richness of the tapestry they weave. That's the part that I, I find so wonderful. And I kept feeling like every story we add to it adds to that richness and adds another layer and another perspective. And you look at people like, gosh, how many healthcare professionals I've interviewed and talked to, it was because they took care of their grandparent and they didn't know what to do Mm -hmm. that encouraged them to go into, they wanted to get the answers and understand and help others. And that's what led them into nursing, social work, medicine. And it, you know, it's neat to see that seed that got planted in one place. Oh, it's beautiful looking at so many times the couples or Jill Harmon, who's in our film, hearing her talk about her husband and how much she loved him. And she's, of course, I'm going to care for him. He's, you know, for better, for worse, he's my husband. And, you know, I think some people find that very challenging and hard. And then there's someone who just wholeheartedly embraced him and the role and what she could provide and, and her sense of humor, she just laughs or everything and, and takes it as it comes. You know, if he says something absurd, she just goes with it. And Dana, the artist in our film, talks about that with her mother. And just, you know, if you go where she goes, it's usually okay. Every now and then it was scary or something. You know, I think she had some uh, war memories that every now and then cropped up. So those could be kind of scary and you'd want to talk someone down from that. But most of the time they were just funny or nice or, you know, she would see her husband in places where he, he had died years before he wasn't there. But obviously that was a warm, beautiful memory she was bringing up. And why wouldn't you want to embrace that and go with that, you know, and it brought back her father for those moments. So I just, yeah, I guess I love this. I love the stories of the people who can see the positive and find the connections, but I think everybody finds them in one way or another. And having all these stories come together creates a whole that is bigger than the sum of the parts and gives you a sense of that, that fullness of the life experience. And it's, it's not just, you know, I think in the popular culture, you see so many films that are just like, Oh, dementia is terrible. It's horrible. It's mm -hmm. overwhelming. It's burdensome. And yes, it can be that. And it can be that at moments, but I think there are these moments of grace and beauty as well. And you can hold both, you know? Right. Right. And that's, that's a, uh... That's the fullness of life. You know, you have all the emotions, <laughs> sometimes at the same time, which makes it challenging, but you have all the emotions. <laughs> and I think this, um, that these particular diseases, because it's so relational and, you know, the, the, the family or the care partner is, is right there with it. Um, I think that brings out additional aspects of that 
humanity that I think we all share. And certainly, I know to me, that's one of the beautiful things to um, to remember and to bring out. And I'm excited to see the documentary. I signed up to be one of the screening partners. So hope to hope to um, watch it soon with other local community members. And and uh, I'll let you know how how it goes. Fantastic. Well, and we're happy to come out and support you in any way. So, uh, well, if it helps to have a few, we could either do a Zoom panel or d- talk about it afterwards. You know, we'd love to help. As I said, for us, it's if we can get conversations started, we think that's the most powerful thing. Um, it's where these connections get, get going and understanding is built. So that's great. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn, for joining us today. All right. Talk to you all next time. Thank you for listening to Ask Dr. Mia podcast. Please share this episode with someone you love and uh, see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with someone who might like it. Review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this episode. And join my email list to directly communicate with me on miayangmd.com. I do not speak for any employer, funder, but myself. For your or your loved one's specific health challenges, this podcast serves as a general educational purposes. Original music by Grant Wills. This podcast is produced by Builder Librarian. And finally, let's all put a hand on our heart and repeat after me. I will love myself so that I can love on others.